Why don't we go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to resume our series in the book of Galatians. And as you're getting there, I'll just mention giving. Um, obviously, we're not passing around offering bags right now, but um, you can take care of giving by dropping off checks in the breezeway on your way back out. Um, there is a little basket there. You can drop off a check or, of course, you can mail a check to the church or take care of your giving uh, through online giving. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to finish this chapter today. Um, once you're there, if you don't mind standing to your feet, and uh, once, if, if you're able, and once we're all standing up and in Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read the text and then we'll pray and get into our sermon. So when you're there, if you don't mind standing to your feet. Beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to re reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Father, we come to you now as a people compelled to hear you speak to us. Because we belong to you and because we trust in you, we want to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, we want to respond to what you have to say to us. So God, we pray that you would give us understanding today as we study this passage of scripture. Lord, I pray that you would block out any distractions, anything else going on right now. And Lord, that you would help us to really tune in to what you would want to say to us through this passage of Scripture. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, we ask you, we plead with you to do the work that only you can do. A supernatural work of revelation in our hearts and a supernatural work of transformation in our lives. And we ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's our practice here at Apostles Church that whenever we baptize somebody, which of course takes place right here in the, the baptistry behind me, whenever we baptize somebody in our church, prior to them being baptized, we have them share their testimony. And it's such an encouraging moment for us in the body because we get to hear about their story. We get to hear about their life before Christ, or what Paul calls in this passage his former life, we get to hear about their conversion to Christ, and we get to hear a little bit about their life in Christ. 
And again, it's always so encouraging to, to hear one another's testimonies. And today, we're beginning the autobiographical section of this letter, the letter to the Galatians. And it begins here in verse 11 of chapter 1, and it continues all the way until uh, verse 14 of chapter 2, or perhaps even a bit after that. And in this section, the Apostle Paul is going to share his testimony and share some of his story about his life prior to his conversion, about his conversion itself, and a little bit about his early days as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when you and I share our testimonies, there's, of course, always a purpose behind it. We don't just kind of walk around every single day aimlessly talking about our testimony story. We share it strategically. We share it with a purpose in mind. And the Apostle Paul is no different. He has a purpose in mind, which is the occasion for which he's going to share his story. What is that purpose? Well, his purpose is that he wants to prove that the gospel that he preached in the gospel that the Galatian churches had received was not man's gospel. And if you're taking notes today, that's the title of this sermon, Not Man's Gospel. He says as much right there in verse 11. The gospel he preached is not man's gospel. Now, obviously last week we took a break from Galatians, and I taught out of the book of Micah. But if you were here two weeks ago, um, you'll remember that that sermon was called No Other Gospel. And the point that Paul was making there in the verses that precede this is that if anyone were to come to these churches and they were to preach a different gospel than the gospel that Paul had preached to them, then let them be anathema, let them be cursed by God. And now today he's continuing to develop the argument and he's saying, look, that's because the gospel that I preached to you guys at the beginning was not man's gospel. This was not a human gospel. In what ways was it not man's gospel? How is this true? Well, Paul's going to give us several reasons why this gospel is not man's gospel. The first one is this, and it's obvious. It's not man's gospel because it didn't come from people. He says in verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So this gospel that Paul preached was not given to him by any particular person. In verse 1, in his introduction, you might remember that the Apostle Paul, after identifying himself as the author, he says, Paul, an apostle, immediately tried to create space between himself and the Jerusalem apostles. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Right at the outset, he's trying to create that distance from the Jerusalem apostles. Remember that these false teachers who had infiltrated the churches at Galatia had probably come from the mother church, the church at Jerusalem, and they were trying to discredit the apostle Paul to these churches that he planted in Galatia. They were likely saying things like, hey, Paul, yeah, this guy, he's a junior apostle. We've come from the mother church with the senior apostles. Guys like Peter and James and John, the guys who actually knew Jesus personally, the guys who walked with him, the guys who saw him and touched him and listened to all of his teaching firsthand. We've come from those guys. 
Paul, he got his message from those guys, and guess what? He's kind of watered it down a little bit as he's been this frontier missionary. He's softened some of the gospel message. He's taken away things that are a little tougher for Gentiles to hear, like circumcision and dietary laws and all the other Mosaic law. And so here's Paul now defending himself for the sake of the Galatians. And his point is, he's saying, listen, nobody reached me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nobody discipled me in the ways of Jesus. Look again at verses 16 and 17. He's speaking about right after his conversion. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia. He says, listen, I I didn't go sit under the teaching of the apostles. I didn't get my theological training and my theological education from Peter, James, and John. He says, look, I went to UBSD, the University of the Backside of the Desert. Okay, I got saved. I went to Arabia. I went out to desert. And we learned that he was in the desert for about three years, sitting under the teaching of the Holy Spirit. There were no apostles in Arabia for those three years. It was the Apostle Paul doing work with the Holy Spirit, learning from the Holy Spirit as he pondered all of the Old Testament texts that he loved so much. Now, it's likely that he still ministered and preached in Arabia. There were cities there. But the point is this, that the first three years after his conversion was not spent in Jerusalem, getting a seminary education. His first three years were spent, again, in utter isolation as it relates to the other apostles, learning directly from the Lord himself. Now, in verse 18, he does mention that eventually he did go to Jerusalem. He says it was after three years. But notice, even there, with this admission that he went to Jerusalem, he's careful to maintain his distance between himself and the other apostles. He says, listen, I did go to Jerusalem after three years, and it was to visit Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter. So he says, I did go there. I visited with Peter. The Greek word there for visited is to get acquainted with. So he's being very careful here. He's he's saying, listen, I didn't go there and meet with Peter so I could get taught things. I went there to get acquainted with him, to say, hey, I know who Peter is. I've heard of him. He knows who I am. Let's get to know each other a little bit. He's an apostle. I'm an apostle. And he points out that he only remained in Jerusalem for what? Two weeks. He says 15 days. It's a short trip. He's very careful here. In verse 19, he says, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Then in verse 20, he even makes an oath. He takes this oath saying, listen, before God, I am not lying in what I am saying. And in, in verse 21, he points out that he was sent back off into Syria and Cilicia. So he mentions this trip to Jerusalem. But he's pointing out the fact that I, I didn't go to Jerusalem for an ordination service. I didn't show up there and have all the apostles come and lay their hands on me and give me my gospel and give me my ministry and then send me out as an apostle underneath them. I am not some junior apostle. In Acts chapter 9, some of the details are filled in relating to what Paul did when he was in Jerusalem on this two-week visit. This is Acts 9 starting in verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Notice that when Paul did go to Jerusalem after those three years, the believers there in Jerusalem almost didn't accept him. They were scared of him. They couldn't believe that this notorious person, Saul of Tarsus, had actually truly become a follower of Jesus. Thank God for Barnabas. Some of us had Barnabases in our life. Maybe your history, your background was so notorious that when you did try to darken the doorway of a church, the believers didn't take you serious, didn't believe you actually might be a Christian, and somebody came alongside you and said, here, I believe it. I'll take you under my wing. I'll introduce you to the church family here. That's what Barnabas did. He stands up for, for Paul, and he defends him. And we read there in that text in Acts chapter 9 that he was introduced by Barnabas to the apostles, i.e. Peter and James. And we also learn that he did a great deal of preaching and evangelism during those two weeks. But this was such a short and limited trip, only two weeks long and only in the city of Jerusalem, that according to verse 22 of Galatians 1, Paul was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea. Now, at this time in the first century, the Roman province of Judea was roughly equivalent to the modern state of Israel. So it included Galilee and Samaria in the north, as well as Judea proper in the south, which is where the city of Jerusalem is. But all of that territory back in the first century was known as Judea. And Paul's point here is that, again, he was only there for two weeks, he was doing ministry in the city of Jerusalem, but he wasn't even known by his face or in the flesh to all the other churches in the region of Judea. So his whole point with all of this autobiographical detail is to say, the gospel that I preach to you, the gospel that you receive from me is not man's gospel. It didn't come to me from other people. Not only that, moving on to the second point, where Paul's trying to emphasize that this is not a gospel from people, it's not only that it wasn't from other people, Paul wants to say it wasn't even from me. It didn't come from his own reflection, reasoning, and thinking. That's point number two in verses 13 and 14. Tim Keller pointed this out. It didn't come from his own reflection, reasoning, and thinking. Paul's gospel was not the, pro the result of a long process of careful reflection. Verses 13 and 14 make it abundantly clear that the Apostle Paul was not on that path. The Apostle Paul was not looking for Jesus. The Apostle Paul was not looking to get some religion in his life. The Apostle Paul was on a polar opposite trajectory from coming after Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. How do we know? There's two reasons pointed out here. Number one, in verse 13, he persecuted the church of God. Far from being an individual who was inquiring about Christianity, carefully reflecting on the gospel, trying to learn the ins and outs of the Christian faith, 
and, and, and trying to decide, should I believe this myself? Contrary to that, he was actually persecuting the church. His goal was to stomp out this Christian movement. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now family, this isn't hyperbole when he says that he violently tried to destroy the church. Okay, this doesn't mean that he was an internet troll who was attacking Christians in the comments. Okay, this is very literal. He was violently trying to destroy the church. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15.9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. We see a little bit of the history of this in the book of Acts. Here's the account of the stoning of Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. I'll start reading in verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he was the one who was in charge of the execution of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, and then a couple verses later, we read that he was the one who was going house to house and dragging men and women off to prison. He was violently trying to destroy the Christian church. And as many of you know, this is the very thing he was even headed to Damascus for on that day where he had, where he had this encounter with the risen Christ. In chapter 9 of Acts, verses 1 and 2, we read, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which means any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the very reason he was even going to Damascus, the day that Jesus met him, was to persecute the church, to drag people off to prison. Not only was Paul persecuting the church, but verse 14 tells us that he was advancing in Judaism. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Guys, listen, this was not a man who was dissatisfied with his way of life. This was not a man, like I said a minute ago, who was looking to get some religion. This wasn't a man who was going, you know what, the way I'm doing things right now just aren't really working out for me. No, this was a man who passionately believed that what he was doing was the work of God. This was a man who thought that he was on God's side and that God was on his side. This was a man full of zeal and passion, believing in the work that he was doing. And this was a man who was a rising star among his peers. So he believed that he had the approval of God. He also was experiencing the approval of man. He kind of had the best of both worlds. He was living an awesome, awesome life 
And I'm saying all this to say that Saul of Tarsus was not looking for Jesus. Again, he was not carefully reflecting and reasoning through and thinking about the gospel. And that's how he came to get his gospel message. It didn't happen like that. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul reflects a little bit on his former life. And he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's credentials in Judaism couldn't have been better. He was of the right bloodline. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He was a Pharisee. He likely then had the entire Torah memorized, the first five books of Moses memorized. It's incredible. Many of us have never even read the first five books of the Torah, despite our best intentions to do so, right? You know how those through-the-year Bible plans work out for you? You go, man, it's January 1st. I'm going to get started. And you're cranking through Genesis. Oh, this is so interesting. And then you get to Exodus and wow, this is fascinating, and you're just bulldozing through it all. And then it's kind of tough sledding when you hit Leviticus, right? You start slowing down. And then by the time you start the book of Numbers, where you've got these lengthy censuses and genealogies, you die in the wilderness just like Israel. And your whole Bible reading plan falls apart. And you go, you know what? I'll try it again next year. Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he had these books memorized. He was a Pharisee. He was righteous, and that's not hyperbole. It didn't mean that he never sinned, but as you know, the Old Testament law had ways that Jews could deal with their sins. There were sacrifices to be made, right? and ways to deal with their sin, and, and Paul was obedient to all of that. This man was a rising star. And this was very important that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, because again, who's he battling here in the book of Galatians? He's battling a bunch of Jewish legalists who are saying, listen, it's Jesus plus the Mosaic law. And Paul's able to say, you want to play that game? I can play it better. I know the law. I lived by the law. You think that obedience to the law is the way to full acceptance before God? I don't think so. I was doing that thing and I ended up finding out that all of my religion actually wasn't satisfying to God. It was fighting against God. Paul's gospel was not, man, not man's gospel. It didn't come from man. It didn't come from his own reflections. So where did it come from? Well, third and finally this morning, according to verse 12, it came from a revelation from Jesus Christ to him. This is how he got it. His gospel message, his apostleship had divine origins. Look at verse 12 again. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. He says, When he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I love this. Even though Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus was looking for Paul. And this is the way it works for all of us. If you're a Christian here this morning, 
Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one. Or Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the way our salvation works. In verse 4 he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Notice what Paul's saying there. He's saying there what he's saying here in Galatians 1. He's saying, I didn't go looking for Jesus. Neither did you. You were dead in your trespasses. But God was looking for you and God made you alive together with Christ at the moment that he revealed Jesus to you. Now let's take it a step further. You need to notice that according to the Apostle Paul in verse 15, God had been coming after him long before the road to Damascus. Don't pass over this. What does he say in verse 15? But when he who had set me apart, when did he set him apart? Before I was born. Paul could look back on his life and he could say that actually God had set him apart before he even took his first breath. Before he was born, the word set apart means to determine beforehand. Paul is saying that God determined before I was even born that he would reveal his son to me and that he would send me on a mission to be an apostle to the Gentiles. This is speaking here of the doctrine of election, which simply means that God chose Paul long before Paul ever chose God. Or as 1 John puts it, we love him because he first loved us. God is the initiator of this whole thing. C.H. Spurgeon is attributed with saying, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born because he surely wouldn't have afterwards. And for any of us who can be honest about who we were before we met Jesus, you would have to agree with that, with that sentiment. You look at your life outside of Christ. Even those of us like myself who were raised in the church, who knew better. You did so many different things in your life that were just rebellion against God. There's nothing that you brought to the table that made God say, this is why I'm going to choose you. This is why I'm going to save you. That's why Paul says that he was called according to God's grace. Paul's calling here is similar to the calling of other prophets. Think of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Translation, Jeremiah. If you know the context, Jeremiah is terrified of public speaking. <laughs> which is really tough if you're called to be a prophet or a pastor. I'm also terrified of public speaking if you didn't know that. And God's word to Jeremiah was, that's okay. I appointed you before you were even born to this ministry. And he's going to go on to say, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. Now we've got to notice this. The setting apart of the Apostle Paul here is connected to a calling. Why did God set him apart before he was born? Look at verse 16. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is so huge, church. Don't miss this. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that all that he was as a man 
even all that he had done in his life from the day he was born, was ultimately in the mysterious wisdom and providence of God, engineered in such a way that it made Paul fit for the ministry that God had appointed him to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything about him, who he was, how he was hardwired, the experiences that he had, God used all of that to fit him, equip him perfectly for the ministry that God had called him to. It is not a coincidence that he was born of the tribe of Benjamin, but that he was born in Tarsus as a Roman citizen. Because as an adult and a missionary to the Gentiles, he was able to freely travel all over the Roman Empire because he was a citizen. It was a huge privilege back in that day. In fact, in the book of Acts, when he's on trial, they're confused. How did you even get your citizenship? He was born with it. Why? Because God was going to send him through Rome as a missionary. The fact that he was trained as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, sitting at the feet of the top dog teacher in Israel, Gamaliel, so that he would be a master in the Old Testament is not coincidence. This is providence to make him a master who could understand the connections in the Old Testament to the life and ministry of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit and author two-thirds of the New Testament. The fact that he was so zealous in his pursuit of God that he would go persecute and kill Christians made him the type of man who would devote the rest of his life to frontier missions work and endure beatings and stonings and ultimately execution in the city of Rome and count his death as great gain. It was all preparation. It was all used in the hands of God for who God had called him to be. And family, the same is true for you and for me. And we have got to square with this. That your life, even the parts that that you're still struggling to, to, to fit together and to piece together, God's not wasting any of it. All of that stuff, the family you were born into, the color of your skin, the nation you were born in, the circumstances of your upbringing, the amount of money you had or didn't have, the amount of opportunity you had or didn't have, your personality, your education, even your suffering, your life experiences, all of that in the hands of the divine potter is being used to fit you, listen to me, to equip you for the particular ministry that he has called you to, the marriage that he's calling you into, or the life of singleness, the occupation he's calling you into, the church community he's calling you into, the city that he's calling you into, the missions project that he's going to send you out into at some point in the future. God is not wasting any of it. If you are a Christian, you have been set apart before you were even born and appointed to the life that God is calling you into. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, of course, the doctrine of election brings up a lot of questions. One of them is, why did God choose me? Like, like, what is it that caused God to choose me? Well, when it comes to Paul, 
It's very clear that God did not choose Paul because of something Paul did. Paul Paul did not earn God's choosing, so to speak. The same is true of the nation of Israel. God had to humble Israel because they became proud because they were his chosen people. And here's what God says in Deuteronomy 7, starting verse 7. Moses is like, look, it was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose you because of who he is, not because of what you've done. Let me say that again. God chose you because of who he is, not because of what you've done. It is because he loves you, because he is a loving God. People also ask, well, how do I know if God chose me? I mean, how could I I know that? And the answer to that is right here in the text for us. It's spelled out in Paul's story here. If God chose you, then God will call you and reveal his son to you. That's how it happened for the apostle Paul. He goes on to say that God had called him by his grace. Again, Paul was not living a life that merited God's calling on the road to Damascus. Instead, God snatched him out of his self-righteousness. God snatched him out of his rebellion. So let's put this all together. Paul was chosen before he was born, but he was called by God's grace at the moment God revealed his son to him. That's what verse 16 says. And that statement takes us, of course, to the road to Damascus where God revealed Jesus to him, the resurrected Jesus, confronting him and appearing to him on the road to Damascus. But the Greek here in verse 16 is really interesting and enlightening. The Greek literally reads that God revealed his son in me, not to me. Now again, of course he's referring to Damascus, where the son Jesus was revealed to him, meaning he saw him with his eyes, experienced him with his senses. But many Bible scholars think that Paul is pointing out something deeper here when he says that the son Jesus was revealed in him. In other words, at the moment that Paul was confronted by the risen Jesus, who was crucified three days, or not three days, but earlier in Jerusalem, and was now alive and appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, At that moment, God revealed him in him. The eyes of his heart were opened. And all of a sudden, faith was born. And for the first time, even though he knew a lot about Christians at this point, for the first time, it clicked. Faith was born. And he believed. And he trusted in Jesus. He recognized that if Jesus is alive, that means Jesus is God's son. That means Jesus is the Messiah. That means his death on the cross actually did pay for sins. And that means that he is Lord. That means that I am wrong. That means I must bow my knee. That means I must follow him with my life. And that was the turning point. God revealed Jesus in Paul. And he believed. And everything changed from that moment. This is what happened to me at a point in my life. In college, at 20 years old. Raised in the church, heard the gospel literally thousands of times, probably. I honestly had more Bible memorized than than 
people in ministry because my dad was such a faithful discipler of his children. I was this unconverted Bible dictionary. I could just quote all these verses and verses, but guess what? All of the head knowledge, all of the exposure did not penetrate my heart. But I was in college and I can't explain it to you. God started drawing me. He started interesting me in in these things. And I started to think more and look at the scriptures. And then one day, he revealed his son, not to me, in me. And it made sense and it connected and I believed. And from that point on until today, I was able to start talking like Paul about my former life in contrast to my new life in Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, that's what happened to you. There came a moment when all of a sudden Jesus was revealed in you. The Holy Spirit moved in your heart and you believed and you trusted and it all came full circle. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. Or if you're not a Christian here this morning, that's what can happen to you. It might happen this morning. As we're preaching the gospel this morning, and we're talking about who Jesus is, maybe you've heard this message a thousand times. Maybe you were raised in the church. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you had no background in Christianity. But for some reason this morning, you're all ears. For some reason this morning, it feels as if this message is being spoken to you. This isn't about anybody else here. God is talking to me. This is making sense to me. I'm sensing that I actually believe this. Maybe you even used to think it was foolishness. Friend, it could happen this morning where God reveals Christ in you. Or perhaps during this series in the book of Galatians. But when that happens, when God reveals his son in you, it's game over in the best possible sense. It's game over. You'll believe. And like Paul in Acts chapter 9, you'll rise and get baptized. You'll be able to speak of a former life and a new life. And when you do, I'll tell you this, we as a church family are going to glorify God because of you. Which is exactly what the churches did in response to Paul's conversion and new life in Christ as we see in verse 24. Okay, let me conclude. Let's tie it all together. Because these Christians... We're on the verge of deserting the one true God by accepting a false gospel. Paul uses his own story to demonstrate that the gospel that he preached and the Galatians received was not man's gospel. He didn't get it from people. Not Peter, not James, not John, not any other person. Nor did he get it from his own reflection and critical thinking skills and reasoning. He didn't carefully consider Christianity and reason his way to faith in Jesus. No. He got it from a direct revelation from the risen Christ himself. Jesus chose Paul, called Paul, and commissioned Paul with the gospel that he was supposed to take to the Gentiles. And so to desert this gospel is to desert the one true gospel, the only gospel that miraculously saved Paul that could miraculously save the Galatians, and that can miraculously save you and me. May it never be so. Amen? Amen. Father, 
once again in this amazing short letter, six chapters long, you are confronting us with good news. Gospel, good news. And it's once again the good news of your incredible love for your people. Famously, you've been called the hound of heaven because of your pursuit of your people. And we see this with the Apostle Paul, a man who couldn't be more opposed to you and your church and to the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, like the great hound of heaven that you are, you pursued him because you had chosen him and you called him and you revealed yourself to him and you completely transformed him into a brand new person. So Lord, this morning we give you praise. We glorify God because of Paul. We glorify you because of our own salvation. And God, we glorify you because at the end of the day, we know you're not done saving souls. And God, we glorify you because we know that you are going to continue to bring about a great and mighty harvest of souls. In fact, the scripture teaches us that the only reason Christ hasn't returned yet is because he's not done harvesting. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. We give you glory for those that you're going to save, globally, nationally, even locally, even in and through this local church, through each and every one of us as we continue to live out our calling that you have given to each of us. Lord, we pray that your spirit would so transform us that our love would be compelling, that our wisdom would be compelling, because at the end of the day, it's not our wisdom. It's your wisdom. And Lord, we pray that our witness would be that moment where you use us to reveal yourself in the hearts and souls of many men, women, and children. Oh Lord, we pray for that. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us so deeply. We worship you again today and forevermore in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.